We come to Romans chapter 8 this morning as we have been marching our way through the books of, um, going back and forth between the books of Genesis and Romans. And I hope you'll see that this is a wonderful transition passage. We're moving out of what we have been talking about, a lot about sin, a lot about the law and the struggle with the law. And we come here to Romans chapter 8, and they are beautiful, beautiful words. Um, In some regard, this is, if you can have one of those, that one of the greatest chapters uh, that there is in the Bible. And I heard one theologian say, he used to ask the question, if you could take two chapters with you if you're on a desert island for forever, what would they be? And you're not allowed to pick Romans 8. That's kind of a given. So my only prayer this morning is just not to get in the way of this, but that we could, um, um, we could receive this good news that God has for us together. And I'll read the passage in just a second, but this, this is a transition passage, and it starts here with a therefore, as you'll see when we read it. So I want to help us better understand what Paul is saying to give a fairly uh, robust set of context as to where we are in the letter and where we are in the big story of God's work in the world. Um, Because this, therefore, in this passage that Paul is summarizing a lot of big stuff that he's been talking about all along, and then he gives us this really dense nugget of just good news that spills out as he brings it all to this summary of really what the gospel is in itself. Um, but let, let's look back for a second. All of this is, when we're talking about God and condemnation here, it is really important that we understand uh, what is the beginning of the story. And that what we saw when we had been looking in the book of Genesis is that God was a good God that made a good world, and He made good people, male and female, with the task of returning to him thanks and acknowledgement of his goodness, and also, through the task of dominion, proclaiming God's name to every corner of creation. So the relationship between God and the creation that people like us are crucially important in how well it would go with the whole creation, to steward it alongside with God and goodness. But when man did not rebel against God, rather than acknowledging him... um, Everything fell out of place. The creation did, people did, as they went their own way, that God had to do something. That God cannot stand by and allow the creation to just fall apart all on its own. He has got to make it right somehow. And as the story is gone, God chose a particular people, and he made great promises to this people that through them... God would end up blessing every family of the earth. And as we see as that story unfolded, that God would bring blessing to the entire corner of the creation. So he takes the problem that man started and puts it on himself and says, I will make a way where people couldn't do it. The the burden of this God places on himself and his promises. And he started this out through his people by giving of the law, which we have just been wrestling with. Paul has been wrestling with what is the place of the law in the Christian life. And we've seen that the law actually brings out sin. That it is powerless to change the human condition, which we'll see in this passage even here. But what it does is it provides a mirror 
to what is the true nature of the human condition and what do people really need. And so again, where God leaves us with this as we come to this passage is how can this be made right? That how can God do what the law is powerless to do? How can the whole creation and people be healed and be brought back into communion and peace with God? And it's in that burden on what is God going to do that we get these words here. And I'll read them now. Romans 8, verses 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin... The Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray just briefly. Dear Father, we pray again that you would come and meet us, that you would break into our hearts and you would break into our minds and that we would see you clearly through the work of your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was reflecting on this verse a lot, um, this passage this week, as I was preparing and really turning over my head what it's like to not live under condemnation. And it reminded me of a song that I really like that's kind of ironic and I find kind of funny, even though it's dark. So I'm warning you that ahead of time before I say it. Um, but an artist named Justin Towns Earl, he has a song called the Harlem River Blues, and it's about the experience of the highs and lows of life, about being in a good place and going down to a bad place. Um, and he says this, this is, I'm kind of modified, put these lyrics together. Um, so you can see, he says, I'm on a roll, mama, I got to go, got to get there while I still can. Troubled days are behind me now. And I know they're going to let me in. But good times come and they go, and even a good man will break. He'll let his troubles bury him whole, even though he knows what's at stake. So I'm taking no chances, carrying over while I'm still good in his grace, saying, I'm no fool, Mama. I know the difference between tempting and choosing my fate. So, Lord, I'm going uptown to the Harlem River to drown. And I don't, if something like suicide has touched your life, uh, this is 
that is not something that I'm taking lightly here in any way. But this is an artistic way of giving us an irony of what it's like. So Justin Towns, he was a guy that, he's had a hard life. He grew up a musician's son. He's been in and out of heroin addiction and is in good places and gone down to bad places. And so in a really clever way, he gives us this illustration of that feeling of, finally, I've made it to a good place. I know how fragile that is. And I'm going to check out while I'm on top before I have a chance to fall again like I know that it's coming. And if you've ever struggled with any kind of addiction of any sort, you know what this is like. Of just the fragile nature of what the human experience is and how hard it is to be in a place that is okay and to hold on to that. Um, If you have ever struggled with depression you know the same experience of how, what it's like to live in the ups and downs and wonder what it is like, the verdict on your own life, um, how hard it is to hang on to a good place. And the same, we could fan that out to any sin struggle that we have, um, that the human condition, we're weak. Life goes up, things go well, we feel good, we might feel like we've arrived in life emotionally, but right around the corner it tends to go down as well. And that puts us, no matter if we're a Christian or not, it puts us in a place of of yearning for and needing some kind of security. Like, what is the mark on our life to know that things are okay, that the verdict on our life is going to be okay, that we've arrived at a good place? And we all live this out, the experience of inside of us. But the good news of this passage is that This is not really a story about us at all. It's not a story about me. It's not a story about you. And the good news in here, even though it might feel like a slight in the first place, is that this is a story about God and what God has done. Not what it feels like to be human and what it feels like to be fragile, but about God's commitment both to his creation, to heal it, and to his commitment to his own promises, that he is faithful to do what he promises. And so what I want to do in looking at this, I really have two big points in here, and that we see as God brings us to this passage, he draws our eyes away, like in verse 3, what God has done. Then he's going to show us two things, I think. That he is faithful to condemn sin for us, and then we'll look that he is also faithful to condemn sin in us. At the same time. So let's jump in and let's look at what this is. And you'll see right off the bat here in verse 8, it starts off with one of the, just those phrases in the Bible you need to have in your pocket to repeat in your head again and again and again and again. In that 8 verse 1, it says, Therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Paul is proclaiming that because of what Christ has done, there is no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not to do with you, but to do with Him. And let's unpack this a little bit. I just want to focus on these two words. First the word no, and then the word now. So God says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this, this is one of those instances that if you could read it in Greek that is actually helpful. It means the exact same thing, but 
one of the ways the language works is it actually can move words around. And if you're, unless you're Yoda, then you are, we don't have the freedom to put words in our language exactly where we want. But no is actually the first word in this sentence. And it's a different word for no that he usually uses, very emphatic. It's like the first thing Paul wants you to hear is no, none, not at all, not even one, no little bit. No condemnation, none at all. And that's if we go down because what has God done? He set us free from, in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death into the spirit of life because God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of human flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. And what does that mean? In the likeness of human flesh, it doesn't mean that He was made sinful Himself, but it means that He participated and He even... All of the evil in the world that he suffered and he experienced. Like what it is like to be a human to the fullest extent. And he was given by God, that God, all of the wrath that was deserved for sin, he poured out on him instead of his own people. So rather than you being condemned, he paid for it himself by sending his own son. He did what we could not do by condemning sin in the flesh. And that's good news in its own right, but when we think about the gospel, we often stop at that point. And I'll give you an illustration for this. So, my father-in-law, is, uh, he's a great guy, and he's from a real small town in South Carolina. And he has gotten me out of more speeding tickets in this town than I care to admit. Uh, he's very well connected, and he's connected to the extent that he makes you a little bit suspicious as to why he knows all these people. But anyways, um, so just, you know, come around a turn, coming into town, the speed limit changes, there's the cop waiting, and Bill, I need you to bail me out of another speeding ticket. And so he would. And that was good news for me. But that's, that, that's only good news to um, a certain extent. Because he would, he would get me out of the consequence but every time I would come around that turn and coming back into Honeypath, South Carolina, there would be that cop still sitting there, still waiting for out-of-town boy to come flying in so he could give him another ticket. God did more than just bail us out, though. He paid the full extent of the sin deserved to us on Jesus Christ. Everyone you have committed in your past, everyone you will commit in the future, but he did something else, too. If we keep reading, he said, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Notice it doesn't say by us. It says in us. And there are two sides to Jesus' work we have to keep in mind. One, that he was faithful to condemn sin in his son Jesus instead of us. But at the same time, who was Jesus? He was the righteous Son of God. He was the one and all of God's delight was poured onto. He was in perfect union with God. Perfect communion dwelling with Him in relationship. He came down and obeyed the law fully, not just by the letter, but from the heart, and made His Father proud as He could be. So what Jesus did, what God did, 
by sending his son Jesus is he both condemned sin, he forgave it, and the other side, he filled up his people with righteousness to the same degree that he gave to Jesus. So, to go back to our illustration, it's like rather than flying around the curb just waiting to mess up again, you know, having it paid for and then just waiting to stumble again and needing God to bail you out, it's like me flying around the curb and rather than the cop waiting to give me a ticket, then there's a parade waiting. Like, welcome to town. Here are the keys to the city. Everything here is yours. You are the model citizen. You are welcome here in this place. You are the one that, in, that this community delights in. This is in effect what Jesus is doing. When he says there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what was done to Jesus. And when we compare ourselves, when you are reminded of what is in your life, that experience of the highs and lows, what it's like to be okay in a good spot and what it's like to be down, this does not mean, I mean, no offense, but your when it comes to your own righteousness before God, your works are irrelevant. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Jesus. Jesus was given before you so you could have what Jesus has. But there is no condemnation that there is. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But one more thing to add on this. Think about this word now. Another aspect of the gospel that Paul is illustrating for us here is that this is not something you have to wait for to the end of your life to find out if this is true. What God has done by sending Jesus is it's like he has taken the courtroom at the end of the age, the verdict he gives that he would give, and he has moved it forward into the present. And as you wonder what defines your life, what will the verdict be? It is not something you have to wait for. It has already happened. The condemnation is, there is no condemnation now, at present. Which means whatever it is, whatever sin, even now you are free to march right up to God, just as you are, fully exposed, fully honest, in full truth, and be welcomed in his delight. Right now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Not because you're righteous, but because God has done what you cannot do. So you can be welcomed in. He's faithful to condemn sin on our behalf. That's the hope of the gospel. There's more than that. If even here... We often stop at that point. But there's more to the gospel. And if we were, we were to stop at that point, then it kind of would leave us with some questions. One, as we've seen in Paul, it might lead us to not care about sin at all. Like, that's great. Um, go sin so that grace may abound. It also might be lead us to a place of... That feels really great in the sense of my standing before God... But the effects of sin are all around me. Like, people still hurt me. I still hurt people. And we have to live with the effects of sin every day. What do we do with that? 
And it can feel like this is kind of an other world reality that doesn't have present impact. Or it might even bring us to question God's justice. How does God, by sending his son and condemning him, how does that solve the problem of creation and the groaning uh, that it is under, as Paul will go on to say uh, in future verses in chapter 8. And that's this, because God did more than just condemn sin for us, but he is also faithful to condemn sin inside of us. By the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 9. He says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. There's a two way dwelling here. He says, You in the Spirit, the Spirit in you. Who is the Spirit? The Spirit is the very Spirit of God Himself, the one through whom all creation was made in perfect communion with God in perfect communion with the Son, in perfect communion with the Father, and that when God removes the condemnation, that doesn't just take away the punishment, but that opens the door that God himself could dwell inside of you. That you are united in communion with God to the recreative work of the Holy Spirit. Like the veil is gone. There is no separation between you and God any longer. He actually dwells inside of you. And what does this look like? This, if we'll observe these next verses when he speaks in verses 5 through 8, he, Paul sets up this, this comparison between life and death. The life that is in the spirit and the death that is in the flesh. And if we're keeping up with the story, if you'll remember in Romans 1, when Paul is describing the situation of those not in the spirit, he describes it in the sense of a rejection of God's law, of a distorting the truth, which means not believing the truth themselves, that's not acknowledging the truth of God, but also to the rest of creation, that it proclaims another message to the creation, to society, to other people. Everything is messed up. And then in Romans chapter 6, we saw that those not in Christ are free in regard to righteousness. That's like righteousness is not a thing. And we get here, and he says that the mind of the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't like God. And that it is bent on being against God. So this is a description that's important to remember what it's like to not be in the Spirit. Because in the Spirit, there is a clarification of truth for us. And this is what that feels like initially. When you come to Christ and you see Christ's freedom, that there is no condemnation for you, then you start to look at your own life and say, something doesn't match up. Because there is more darkness in here, and it seems to be growing by the minute. Like, no matter how much I revel in this and engage with it, then the more sin that I see. And it feels kind of dark. But what happens with the Spirit, out of God's faithfulness, is that the Spirit actually helps us wake up to the truth. So we see the truth about us. That we start to notice that sin is actually death. And the things of God are actually life. The mind that is not in the Spirit doesn't see it that way. So as you look at yourself and are tempted to despair because the sin that keeps coming up This is actually 
might be more evidence that the Spirit is at work in your life than the opposite. It feels like the opposite. It feels like evidence that God is not there. He is not at work. But what Paul is saying is here is that Paul is bringing us mercifully to a knowledge of death. And why is that a good thing? Because when you see that, you have nowhere to turn but back to him. The work of the Spirit, and this is a hard thing. What we all want is when we, to grow in Christ, we want to move away from a dependence upon God. But the Christian life and discipleship can only be found through the cross. And this is hard because this involves admitting stuff about ourselves regularly that we don't like. And actually engaging with sin rather than hiding it away. But the Spirit does this in faithfulness because there is only one way that you can be assured that there is no condemnation on your life. It is not ignoring sin. It is not disengaging with it. It is through the cross, through the acknowledgement that it is true. That the things that are wrong with me, they really are wrong. And they really do bring death. I mean, in our house with our kids and the chaos that's in there, we have four kids and we just got a dog, like probably ill-advisedly. It's chaos. But when, I, when it gets to me and when I yell at them and lose it and angry, it really does hurt myself and them. But as the Spirit leads me to that point to see that, then there is the freedom to come before God who was given for me to say there is no condemnation for you. And it is only there that you are actually able to have the freedom of a son or a daughter and engage with what is actually in your heart. The cross is the last place we want to go, but that is the place to true freedom. This is the gift of the Spirit leading us to the cross condemning sin in us. But there's another point I want to emphasize here that is important to Paul. Not just does this give us and bring us back to a focus and a love of Jesus and the cross as the pathway to growth in life. There needs to be another hope. Because it's one thing to be forgiven. And it is another thing to suffer with the effects of sin. And we all know in here what it is like to suffer with the effects of sin. You know what it's like in yourself, in your own sin. Many of you know what it is like to be sinned against. We all live in a world um, that is going in a way that it shouldn't. There are values promoted that shouldn't. There are ways a society works that are not just Um, Even the way the land is treated is not the way that the Lord Lord intended. So what is the hope now for you? How do you engage with the hardship that comes with living in a body of sin, even though you know that you're forgiven? And that's this. Because the story does not end just like it didn't begin with you and didn't begin with your works. It does not end with you either, even though you don't see it. Look at this great promise that he has at the end. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life 
because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I want to draw your attention to this word mortal. This is like a body body. This is a real body. This isn't some kind of spiritualistic thing of floating off with God in the end of life in a bodiless existence. But this is a body that God made. A part of the creation that God loves. And if you'll remember when Will preached on Genesis 1, the phrase he kept using is that God is committed to finish what he starts. And as Paul is drawing us away from looking at ourselves and looking to the story of God, he is telling us to look at the work of God. From the beginning, he is faithful to finish what he starts. He didn't give up when people fell into sin. He didn't give up when his people didn't keep the law. He sent his son Jesus at the right time. So that there, even that wouldn't be the end of the story. The hope of the Christian and the whole trajectory of life and the work of the Spirit will not be done until every part of creation is made new again. I had a professor, he wrote a book and he used to use the phrase um, from the great hymn that he will make things new as far as the curse is found. This includes relationships. This includes moral sin struggles. This includes the creation itself. This includes society. And it does not appear that that is the case. And this is the hard part of us living this side of heaven, is that what we have is a promise. But the promise is not just words, but it was demonstrated in Jesus Christ himself, who took on the likeness of human flesh, and he came. For us. So as we struggle daily with the effects of sin and with our own sin, and we wonder, we look at all of this that it seems to be falling apart around us, what we have is the cross of Jesus Christ. That God did not give up on his story, even to the point that he would send his own son. And beyond death, he raised him from the grave to show that there is new life in him. And what that means for us is that God's work is successful. It cannot be undone. Like when you look at yourself and you look at the sin that hides in there and you despair over that, it's easy to think that this is the exception. I am the exception. I am the one that despite what God did was not enough for But again, it's not about you. God doesn't make mistakes. What he has done is enough. When he raised Jesus Christ from the dead, his work is done. So now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You could just say that again and again and again and again and again and again. But it will not stop with you. The rest of the Christian journey is a journey of hope. That through Jesus Christ, that the work that he started, he will finish. He is faithful to finish the story that he started. Let's pray together that he would sink that into our hearts.
and that we might believe it. Dear Father, thank you for Jesus. This is a reality that is, um, it is bigger than we can know and that we can understand. But we pray that you have promised, even for us, that through your Spirit, that you could bring life to what is dead. That you indeed would remind us of the gospel. As we forget your benefits and we despair of our own sin, that you would lead us back to Jesus. That we would walk away knowing there's no condemnation. And that you would change us all, that we would look to you in hope, and that we would follow you and your commitment to make everything new again as far as the curse is found. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.